Well, I'm continuing this morning in a summer sermon series called The Power of One Life, where I'm looking at minor biblical characters every week, someone I can preach on in one Sunday. And this Sunday, I'm going to be looking at a woman named Gomer, who is found in the book of Hosea. Uh, And so I'm going to look at the story of Gomer and Hosea. If you don't know anything about Hosea and Gomer, Hosea was a prophet Uh, the last prophet to prophesy in the northern kingdom of Israel before it fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And you may remember I went through a a Jonah, a a series on Jonah, right before this, and I talked about how the prophets were what were known as covenant mediators. That way back at Mount Sinai, after God rescued the people of Israel from Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai and he made a covenant with them. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. This is what it means to be the people of God And if you follow these laws, obey me, then these blessings will happen. And if you disobey, these curses will happen. And whenever the people of Israel were in danger of bringing the curses upon them, God would raise up a prophet. And a prophet would be a mouthpiece of God, a spokesman for God to come and say, repent, turn. The direction you're going is not good. You're about to bring all these curses upon you. So turn back to God. And one of the things that was often a cause for repentance was idolatry, turning to false gods. In Hosea's time, that was happening. A lot of Israel was turning to worship Baal, one of the foreign gods of the Canaanites, a fertility god. And the belief of the Canaanites was that Baal lived with his consort Anath and that Baal was responsible for giving rain and fertility and water to the crops. So their method of prayer, if you're ready for this, their method of prayer and worship was to stimulate Baal to acts of fertility by having sex with sacred shrine prostitutes. They believed that by doing that, they would encourage Baal and his consort Anath and so on and so forth, and then the rain would fall. Okay? You can understand maybe why God would want Israel not to turn to that particular foreign god. Many reasons, right? And you can understand maybe why God commanded the Israelites to drive the Canaanites out of the land lest they be a stumbling block, right? All those who say, how come God is this kind of God who wants all these foreigners out? It wasn't just about that. It was about idolatry. It was about worshiping false gods. And so that's the setting. God's people are falling into idolatry. They're worshiping other gods. They're compromising their purity in the process. And so God raises up Hosea. But he doesn't just give him a word for the people. He calls him to a very unique task, okay? And so we're going to read a lot of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, verse 5. I'm going to take it a little at a time, explain what's going on, and then I'll talk about what it means for us today. So let me read Hosea, chapter 1, the first chapter. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. And so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo 
Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. And then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Amai, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited, and they will, be, they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Let me stop there. So, God does not just give a word to the prophet Hosea. He gives him a task. He says, I want you to go and I want you to marry a woman of unfaithfulness, a woman who will be unfaithful to you, a woman who will become a prostitute. Why would God give Hosea this calling? I could think of a couple reasons. First of all, he may say, you know, as my prophet, as my mouthpiece, I want you to understand my heart. I want you to understand the heart of God. I want you to know how I feel about my people. Israel. This is how I feel when my people turn from me, go worship foreign gods. It's not just they're breaking a law, they are breaking my heart. They're breaking the covenant that they've made with me. So maybe the first reason would be to, for Hosea to understand. And then secondly, to be a picture to the people of Israel. That as, as Hosea marries Gomer, and Gomer commits adultery and becomes this prostitute, that that would be a picture to Israel of what they are doing to God. Again, not just idol worship, but spiritual adultery. As he said, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. And Gomer has three children and they all have significant names. Jezreel, which means God scatters. It's a reminder of a battle, the battle of Jezreel in 2 Kings 9 and 10. A particular instance of Israel's sins. And then the second child, Lo-Ruhamah, which means not shown compassion or not loved. And then thirdly, no, lo am I, not my people. It's a particularly stinging rebuke, right, for those who are called the people of God, for God to say, I name this child, not my people. Not loved. God will scatter you. But then even in the judgment, you hear, didn't you hear like the echoes, the hints of, even though this is the name, yet I will, yet I will call them my people, yet I will bring them back. So moving on to chapter two, God gets a little more, Vivid in his imagery of what Israel has done. Ready? Hosea chapter 2, verse 2, beginning in verse 2. If this would work for me. There we go. Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who will give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but will not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal. 
Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. In other words, they're going to reap what they've sown. They've turned from God. They've turned to these other lovers, these other gods, thinking they're the ones who will give the wine and the fertility and the the grain and all of that. But God says they've forgotten. I'm the one who provides all those things, not these idols. They will not follow through. And so they will reap what they've sown. They will experience the discipline of the Lord. But that won't be the last word. This is Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. The tone changes right here. But the Lord... Excuse me, wrong one. There we go. There it is. Therefore... I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the name of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle, I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. In this passage, there's the language of recovenanting, that even though they've been disciplined, even though God has stripped them and exposed them and they've reaped what they've sown, now he says, I will bring them back to me. I will betroth them, he says, which I will marry them. I will wed them. He says, I will betroth them in righteousness and justice. And then he continues in chapter 3. He says, the Lord said to Hosea, go show your love to your wife once again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to the other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer, and a lethek of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Those sacred raisin cakes apparently are used in Canaanite rituals, if you're wondering what that was all about. 
But notice what God says to Hosea here, okay? The first calling to him was to go and take an adulterous woman, right? Someone who's going to cheat on you, become a prostitute to other men because I want you to understand my heart and I want you to be a picture, your marriage to be a picture to Israel of what they have done to me and how they've broken my heart. And just like Israel, Gomer's going to experience that these lovers don't really provide for, don't really take care of her. She's going to reap what she's sown. But then, but then, he says, I want you to take her back. I want you to take her back and recovenant with her and love her and forgive her and cover her just as I will with my people. And even though at one point they were not my people and they were not loved, now, once again, they will be my people and they will be loved. What does this mean for us? What does the story of Gomer and Hosea mean for us today? Let me share four things. The first is this, that God's love for us is as intense as a perfect husband's love for his wife. Do you understand this? This is not clear from this passage, that your relationship with God is not meant to be the kind of relationship that a servant has to a boss or employee to a boss or a servant to a king. There's a depth of love. There's a depth of passionate attachment and intimacy that's meant to be between God and his people. And the best earthly language that we can have is the language between a husband and wife. And that's why he uses that metaphor. It's a metaphor that shows up a lot in the prophets. Think of Isaiah chapter 54, verses 4 through 8. It says, Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. In Isaiah 62, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Now, as I read this, just to be clear, I see this God speaking collectively. He doesn't you know, it's, it's not about individuals and all of a sudden, like, you know, you're married, husband, wife. But he's talking to his people here. That I am like a husband to you and you are like my bride. That that is meant to be the depth of love and intimacy that I share for you and that you're meant to share for me. It's the language of priority, of passion, of intimacy. That there's to be nothing between you and God. No one, no thing that comes between us. The story of Hosea and Gomer is God telling his people, that is how I view our relationship and how it's meant to be. That kind of intimacy, that kind of covenant. And when you sin, when you go after idols, it's not just breaking the law. It's breaking God's heart. It is spiritual adultery. Do you view your relationship with God in that way? That this is what it's meant to be. 
that when Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and your mind, this is what he meant. That kind of passionate relationship with the God of the universe where nothing and no one comes before him. So if that's the first thing from the story, that God's love for us is as intense as a perfect husband's love for his wife, the second, if I can get this to work, I might need help in the back. This, okay, there we go. The second point is this, that our sin is like spiritual adultery. Has not, not been clear yet, right? That's what you see from the story of Gomer and Hosea. That our sin is not just breaking the law. It's not just offending the king. It is like a wife cheating on his, her husband. It is cheating on God, rejecting the one who loves us, created us, called us into covenant. James 4, verse 4. James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That any idol that we have in our life, anything we put above God, whether it's an addiction, whether it's money or status, whether it's another person or another thing, whatever it may be, whatever we elevate above God, he says, it's spiritual adultery taking the love and devotion that was meant to be shared between us and God and giving it to someone else. It's breaking the heart of God to chase after lovers who will never satisfy. But the third point from the story of Gomer and Hosea is this. Out of his great love for us, God pays our debt, offering us forgiveness and a new covenant. That even though we have committed spiritual adultery and broken the covenant with our God, Out of his great love for us, he pays our debt, offering us forgiveness and a new covenant. Look again at chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. I want you to picture this scene. There's a scene that's being played out here in this verse that I've highlighted. That Gomer has left Hosea. She's become so lost in her adultery that she's become a prostitute. And now she's up for public auction. She's for sale. Either in slavery or put out by her pimp. She's up for public auction and she's naked so people can see what they're getting. That's the picture of what's going on here. That this Gomer who has lost herself in adultery and prostitution is now up for sale. And God tells Hosea, go. Love your wife again. And so it says, he bought her back for 15 shekels of silver. Can you just picture that scene? Imagine maybe that you are Gomer up there. You've fallen so far away that now you are enslaved and naked for everyone to bid on, up for sale, all your shame. And here comes your husband, the one who has, whose heart you've broken, who you've betrayed again and again. And he comes to this auction and he buys you back. God says that 
is to be a picture of my love for my people. That they are so far gone in their sin and spiritual adultery. That they have become enslaved. That they have become shamed. But instead of just rejecting them, giving them what they deserve, instead of that, I will buy them back. I will purchase them back. I will bring them back into relationship with me. They will be mine. I will be theirs. And then look at verse 4 to 5. He says, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. And afterward the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. Now, this prophecy is taking place in the 8th century B.C., and David has been dead for 200 years. So here we have God telling Hosea that the Israelites will return, and they will seek the Lord their God and David their king. How can they seek a dead man? How can they seek a king who's been dead for 200 years? Because it's not about David. Because the whole Old Testament points to Jesus It all points to the gospel. And there is one who will come who will be the son of David. The true David, the true king. And so this is a prophecy about Jesus, that they will return to God and to the true David, Jesus. This is the love that the Father has for us. This picture of Gomer and Hosea. That God tells Hosea, go marry this woman who's going to be an adulteress, who's going to become a prostitute, who's going to become so lost in her sin that she's going to end up on public auction. All her shame displayed. But instead of rejecting her, I will pay whatever the price is to bring her back. That is the gospel in Hosea and Gomer. That is the gospel. That by our sins, we have separated ourselves from a holy God and we have gone so far that we are now enslaved. We're done. We're lost in our shame and our guilt. But our God loves us so much that he does not leave us there, but he comes willing to pay whatever price to bring us back to him, to make a new covenant with us. See the language again in Hosea of that new covenant. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will make a new covenant with you. The old covenant has been broken. You broke it when you committed all that adultery, but now I will make a new covenant with you. Think of Jeremiah 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's the new covenant. Or as it said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. 
For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Like Gomer, you have sinned. We have sinned. But Jesus paid the price to bring us back to him and bring us into this new covenant, this eternal covenant. If we can move on to number four. The fourth point is this. In Jesus, we'll enjoy the spousal love of God forever. It's an eternal covenant that he has made with us. As it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news depending, doesn't matter what your marital status is, whether you are married, never married, divorced, widowed, happy marriage, unhappy marriage. He says, you will enjoy the eternal love of God forever. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. That once you were not his people, but now you are his people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Go back to that picture. Go back to the picture of you as Gomer. On that auction block, naked and ashamed for all the world to see. What would it be like if right now all of your inmost thoughts, all of your secret sins, everything was just displayed on this screen right behind me? Right? What if right now everything you've ever thought and done was right here for everyone to kind of read through and and watch? Imagine the, the shame. Imagine the desire you would have probably to just run and hide God knows all of that. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought. And instead of rejecting you, he paid the price, he paid the penalty to save you and rescue you and bring you into an eternal relationship with him. I love this quote from Tim Keller in the book, The Meaning of Marriage. He said, To be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. It's a great way of putting it. If people love us but they don't really know us, well, it's superficial because we, in the back of our heads, think, well, if they really knew me, if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me that way. They'd run screaming from me. But if someone then fully knows us and then rejects us, well, that's our worst fear. But to be fully known and fully loved, that is what God has done for us, fully known and truly loved. There's a reason I've used this before of how so many Plots, you know, the plot of so many romantic movies and romantic comedies follow this kind of logic. They tap into this fear we have, right? That boy meets girl, 
They fall in love, but girl has a secret. She's hoping the boy doesn't find out. But then eventually, you know, he finds out the secret, and now it looks like, oh, no, he's going to reject her, and it's not going to end happily ever after. But then in the end, he comes back and he says, even though I know, I still choose you, I still love you. And they live happily ever after. And you see this plot played out so many, many times because that is our deepest fear in so many ways, that deep fear that people would know us and then run screaming once they truly knew the real us. But the story of Hosea and Gomer shows the love that God has for us, that even though we have committed spiritual adultery, even though we have rejected him so many times over, even though we are now lost in our sin and our shame and our guilt, he did not reject us, but he paid the price of his son dying for us to bring us back to him, to give us an eternal love, eternal covenant with him. Final image is this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through 9. It's of a wedding. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And in Revelation 21, verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, I think it's the best earthly language we have to try to communicate to us that level of intimacy and love that will be ours forever with God. It's the best earthly language we have. Let me just leave at you with two thoughts. Some of you may identify with Hosea. In some ways, maybe you've experienced unfaithfulness in your marriage. And we know that there are legitimate grounds in the Bible for divorce. But let me also encourage Sometimes, sometimes, maybe, God might allow us to go through things where we can display his heart, his mercy, his forgiveness, the way he does for his people. And sometimes he may even empower us to speak prophetically with the heart of God from what we've been through. And some of you may identify with Gomer. You look at your life and you're like, yep, that's me. The way I've acted in my relationships or the way I've acted with God. Let me encourage you that God loves you and in Jesus Christ has offered you forgiveness of every sin. That when you turn to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive you all your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness, to welcome you back into his love for eternal love, an eternal covenant. Can I encourage you this morning? This is not meant to be a relationship between a servant and a king, between an employee and a boss, that the relationship with God is meant to have that level of intimacy, that level of passion, that level of commitment, that nothing would come between you and him. And he has shown you his love through the death of Jesus on the cross, buying you back when you were on the public auction block bringing you back to himself. Open your heart this morning to receive the love of God for you, that it might transform you 
that you might love as he has loved you. Let me close with the words of J.I. Packer. He said this, Hearts on earth may say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end, but invariably it does. The hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. There's no better news than this. That is the love that you have to look forward to. Let me pray. And the worship team can come forward, and those who are going to serve communion can come forward as well. God, we are so blind to your love. Open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts to experience the depth of your love for us as displayed on the cross. Pour out your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit as we worship you. That we might be convinced that nothing could ever separate us from your love. That we might rest in the new covenant we have with you, the eternal love you've given to us. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.